It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Flag Day, Monday, June 14, 2021, and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. Good evening, I'm Kelly Reese. Tomorrow is the state's big reopening. The California report looks into a voluntary electronic system which allows businesses to check the vaccination status of customers. A major heat wave expected across California this week has led to concerns about power outages and rolling blackouts. Then, National Native News delves into an investigation into deaths at tribal jails overseen by the federal government and indigenous-led protests over the Minnesota Line 3 pipeline. We'll take a brief look at regional headlines and weather before our bi-weekly Walk in the Park with Sid Brown. We close tonight with a special Flag Day commentary by Chaplain Norris Burks. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. As California prepares to reopen, state officials are set to unveil an electronic system that will allow businesses to check the vaccination status of customers. During a news conference last week in San Diego, Governor Gavin Newsom stressed that this would be voluntary and an option for businesses in dealing with people who aren't wearing masks. Here's Health and Human Services Secretary Mark Galley speaking to the Public Policy Institute of California. California. You know, we worry about discrimination, inequities, uh, limiting access to folks. We also want to make sure that we remind people that sharing your vaccine status, if that's your desire, is, is somebody's personal prerogative and they should be protected. Now, neither Newsom or Galley would go into further details about the verification system. Under federal masking guidelines, people who are unvaccinated must continue to wear face coverings. And businesses have three options in dealing with unmasked customers. Trust them when they say they're vaccinated, implement some form of vaccine verification, or require everyone to wear a mask mask. On Friday, more than 2 million travelers were screened by the TSA at U.S. airports. It's the first time that's happened in a single day since March of last year. The California Report's Keith Mizuguchi spoke with travel industry analyst Henry Hartevelt with Atmosphere Research in San Francisco about the importance of that 2 million number and what it means for the upcoming summer travel season. That is a very significant number because It is coming without any meaningful number of business travelers and without much international travel being possible due to border closings or travel restrictions. On Friday, we were at roughly 74% uh, in terms of the number of people who went through TSA screenings at U.S. airports compared to the same day in 2019. I know international travel has been kind of a bugaboo right now with people in the industry. Are there any signs that some of the restrictions will be lifted for summer travel or is it still up in the air right now? It's still very uncertain. Right now, France, Greece, Spain are among the countries in Europe that are open to U.S. travelers. Others are planning to reopen and the EU has said that it will reopen by the end of June. Uh, to U.S. travelers. Now, some countries may limit that to vaccinated travelers. Some may say it's everybody. Uh, There was some hope that out of the G7 meeting, the U.S. and U.K. would announce a start date for a so-called air corridor to resume air travel between the two countries in both directions. That didn't happen. All we got was a vaguely worded promise to study it 
and that really counts for nothing. But there is a lot of interest in traveling to Europe right now. And in fact, JetBlue is hoping to launch its first flights from the U.S. to London on August 11th. So a lot literally is riding on this summer, uh, the fortunes of airlines, the fortunes of hotels, the fortunes of tourism-dependent businesses in Europe are riding on this. And frankly, there are a lot of tourism-dependent businesses in the U.S. who are doing well with domestic travel, but would really like to see those international travelers coming to our shores again, because international visitors stay longer and spend more than domestic travelers. And I imagine, particularly in California, where you see areas like Napa Valley, you see areas like San Francisco and Los Angeles, which are so reliant economically on that traveler and that tourist dollar, that even though domestic travel is expected to be up, they really do need people who are staying for weeks at a time and spending money in restaurants, spending money at hotels and at local small businesses. You are correct. Uh, so Visit California, the State Tourism Authority, has been running advertising, uh, online advertising, uh, television advertising, and more, encouraging Californians to spend at least some of their vacation time and money within the state to help get the state back to work and help the economy get going again. That's an unusual move. But California very much wants the international traveler back here and frankly, so do a lot of other states who, who rely on international visitors. Texas wants more Mexican and Latin American visitors. Florida has been getting travelers from Latin America if they're able to get into the U.S., but not all countries are allowed into the U.S. right now. And of course, we don't have Canada. Uh, and Canada is a huge source market for inbound travel to California as well as other parts of the United States. So... As good as we are as a state, as big as we are as a state, we need other domestic travelers and we need all the international travelers we can possibly get to help reinvigorate the state's travel and tourism industry. That was the California Report's Keith Mizuguchi speaking with travel industry expert Henry Hartevelt of Atmosphere Research. Governor Newsom is scheduled to hold a news conference highlighting travel and tourism in the state, including offering dream vacations as part of the latest prizes in the state's vaccine incentive program. Support for the California Report comes from Blue Shield of California, rebuilding the future of health care with every Californian in mind, from quality and equitable care to not-for-profit values. Learn more at news.blueshieldca.com. Water heaters only. Specializing in the repair and replacement of water heaters since 1968. Licensed and insured. Open 24 hours a day every day. Learn more at waterheatersonly.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. And finally, we're expecting a major heat wave across California this week. Temperatures will hit triple digits in many inland areas. 
And in places like Death Valley, the highs could top 120 degrees. That's led to concerns about power supply and the possibility of rolling blackouts, like what California saw last year during an extended heat wave. California's power grid operator says it expects increased demand for electricity, but at this time, it's not anticipating power disruptions. But it will be closely monitoring the situation and issuing advisories as needed. And that's the California Report for Monday, June 14th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. This is National Native News. I'm Megan Kamrick in for Antonia Gonzalez. 19 people have died at tribal jails overseen by the federal government since 2016. That's according to a new investigation from NPR and the Mountain West News Bureau. It uncovered a pattern of mismanagement and neglect. The Mountain West News Bureau's Nate Hedgie reports. The investigation found that guards at several detention centers violated federal policy that requires regular checks on inmates and the provision of proper medical care. In one instance, a 22-year-old man died in a holding cell. His body wasn't discovered for nearly three hours. And unlike other federal correctional facilities, the investigation revealed that Bureau of Indian Affairs jails do not require on-site nurses or doctors. Brandy Tomhave, a tribal advocate and member of the Choctaw Nation, says the federal government has known about these problems for years but has done very little about it. And that decision has gotten people killed. The Interior Department says it plans to launch a review of the jails. For National Native News, I'm Nate Hedgie. Following indigenous-led protests earlier this week over the Line 3 pipeline in Minnesota, a group of Native American contractors is calling for an end to those actions. The Star Tribune reports six contractors sent a letter to Minnesota tribal leaders criticizing the protests for disrupting work, damaging property, and threatening employees. They noted the protesters, quote, intentionally create a false narrative that there is no Native American support for this project and the economic impacts and opportunities it brings to our people. Thousands of protesters marched near the Mississippi River headwaters last weekend and occupied a pump station construction site. They also locked themselves to equipment and blocked a road. Enbridge, which is building the pipeline, said it evacuated 44 employees. Ten of those worked for Gordon Construction, a company based on the White Earth Reservation. Owner Matt Gordon is one of the signatories to the letter. The Star Tribune reports the White Earth, Red Lake, and Millox bands have opposed the Enbridge pipeline, but the Fond du Lac band of Lake Superior Chippewa dropped its opposition and made a deal with Enbridge to allow the new Line 3 on its land. The Leech Lake band of Ojibwe supported the new pipeline to get an older Line 3 removed from its land. According to our report, Enbridge filed with the Minnesota Public Utilities Commission, the company has spent $200 million on contracts related to the project with tribal businesses in Minnesota and $22 million on wages to indigenous workers in the state. But White Earth Band member Winona LaDuke, who leads the group Honor the Earth, accused Enbridge of using Native people as a smokescreen to destroy the environment. Chief Leonard Crow Dog, the Sikhanju Lakota leader who helped revitalize Native American religion and was a leader for indigenous rights, died on June 6th at the Rosebud Reservation in South Dakota. He was 78. Native News Online reports Chief Crow Dog came from a line of Lakota medicine men and was educated by his parents and elders in the Rosebud Sioux tribe. He kept traditional knowledge alive for his tribe and told his story in the book Crow Dog, Four Generations of Indian Medicine Men. President of the Rosebud Sioux Tribe and Chief Crow Dog's cousin, Rodney Bordeaux, said Crow Dog helped bring back the Sundance, which had been outlawed. He was also the spiritual leader for the American Indian movement. 
Chief Crow Dog remained a spiritual leader and elder for the Rosebud Sioux Tribe until the end of his life in a 2016 ceremony at Standing Rock, where veterans apologized for the harm they and the United States caused Native Americans, he granted forgiveness. In May of this year, he once more advocated for the reclamation of the Black Hills at a gathering of Sioux tribes. Chief Crow Dog was buried on June 7th following traditional Lakota services at Chief Crow Dog's Paradise near Rosebud, South Dakota. Flags are flying at half-staff all week in his honor. For National Native News, I'm Megan Kamrick. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by BNSF Railway, proudly supporting the nation's economy by moving the goods that feed, supply, and power communities across the country. More at bnsf.com slash tribal relations. Support by the Sanoski Chambers Law Firm, championing tribal sovereignty and defending Native American rights since 1976, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Tomorrow, Tuesday, June 15th, marks California's reopening, although certain restrictions will remain in place. Guidelines will presumably shift according to future COVID numbers. The National Weather Service has issued a warning for dangerously hot conditions in the valley and the foothills later this week. They recommend drinking extra water, avoiding strenuous outdoor activity from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., and making sure pets stay cool. And now for regional weather. In Grass Valley in Nevada City, tonight, clear skies with a low around 56. Tomorrow, sunny with a high near 86. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, clear skies with a low around 41. Tomorrow will be sunny with a high near 76. In Sacramento and Woodland, tonight, clear skies with a low around 54. Tomorrow, sunny with a high near 91. Although COVID safe protocols are still in effect, Sid Brown gives us the rundown on what's gradually opening up just in time for summer in this week's A Walk in the Park. Well, welcome to A Walk in the Park. Summer is here, the weather is heating up, and visitors are streaming to the river and to our parks. COVID is still with us, but the good news is things are opening up. We are very happy to announce that the mine model at Empire Mine State Historic Park is open now. The museum is open, and we are able to welcome our guests and park visitors back inside some of the buildings. Our curatorial staff is preparing the buildings that have been closed for you know, more than a year and a half now to make sure they're safe and clean and available. Our docents and volunteers are coming back 
And we ask the public to bear with us as we are not opening everything as quickly as we'd like, but progress is being made and we're really enthusiastic and happy about that. We are still looking for volunteers to help us with our visitor center operations, the gift shops. You can contact the State Park Empire Mine State Historic Park for information about volunteering at the park. We have roving garden and mine yard volunteers on the weekends available to answer questions. And of course, the blacksmiths at Empire are operating every single day that the park is open. At South Yuba River State Park, we are very happy to announce that the River Ambassadors, a partnership program that State Parks has with the South Yuba River Citizens League, the River Ambassadors are now staging on the weekends at Bridgeport and at the 49er Bridge, supporting the river, supporting our environment, and educating the visiting public about river etiquette, safety, information about trailheads, parking, and they have a, a lovely bandana uh, PR promotional information that they are handing out. So if you see a river ambassador, thank them for their time and their their volunteerism and their support. And the bandana has a lot of great information about the rules, the regulations, the location of the trailheads, and basically the whole border all the way around the bandana has all a, a very accurate map of the Yuba River. One of the things that we do want to make sure the public is aware of is that when you're in the canyon, there is basically no cell phone reception. So we need to let people know where you are and know where you're going and have a plan so that you are not caught in the dark, um, not knowing where you're want to go out and not being able to connect with your support system. So again, the state parks are open from sunrise to sunset, and there's no cell reception in the River Canyon. The Jones Bar Trail is not yet open, and the Jones Fire Area at Independence Trail uh, going downstream from Highway 49 is still a hard closure the Independence Trail upstream from 49 is open, as are the trails at the bridge going to Hoyt's Crossing and the South Yuba Trail. Malakoff Diggins open every day, and I'm happy to say we have started our campfire programs, which are going to be provided every Saturday evening at the Campfire Center at the Shoot Hill Campground at Malakoff Diggins at 8 o'clock. And that is actually a real campfire with a program led by a state park employee. The museum is opening at Malakoff Diggins, and now Malakoff Diggins um, Visitor Center is going to be open every day from now through Labor Day. Well, we want you to enjoy nature. We want you to share your appreciation of nature. And we also want everyone to be aware of the impact that they have when they're enjoying and sharing nature with their family and friends. The river has seen record levels of visitation, as have all the parks. And unfortunately, with that high level of visitation, there's been a lot of litter. These pieces of litter last way longer than you might imagine, hundreds, thousands of years. So please pack it in, pack it out. And again, no fires, no alcohol, no glass. 
and also a plea to no jumping from rocks when you're at the river. We've had some rescues and some injuries already this season, and we really want to make sure people stay safe. So enjoy your parks. Learn more about them. Thank you very much. This is Sid Brown. Sid Brown sits on the board of the Sierra Gold Parks Foundation, a nonprofit organization that supports park-related educational activities and helps to preserve the natural and cultural resources of Western Nevada County's state parks. You can find out more at sierragoldparksfoundation.org. Listen to the entire A Walk in the Park segment on our website at kvmr.org or wherever you find your podcasts. We close with a special commentary by military and healthcare chaplain Norris Burks. As chaplain, Burks served with both active duty Air Force and the Air National Guard in posts as diverse as Turkey, Saudi Arabia, and Panama until his retirement in 2014. This is Chaplain Norris Burks with another edition of Spirituality in Everyday Life. Since today is Flag Day, I want to encourage you to proudly and properly display our American flag on your front porch or driveway. As a retired Air Force chaplain, my definition of proper display may differ from yours. Nevertheless, I hope we can agree we should avoid the boorish examples of some I've seen lately. For instance, I was taken aback to see a local real estate agent post the American flag in driveways with her business card attached. Adding to my surprise was the owner of an area landscaping company, regularly flying his flag from the bed of his pickup truck. Now, election season can be awful, of course. Parties tend to use the flag to promote their candidate. Worse yet, may be the churches who announce their union to God and country by hanging a jumbo-sized flag as a backdrop on their altar. Again, I take a different view. When I look at flags hung on America's main street, my mind superimposes those flags with the ones I saw covering the coffins of the many soldiers I buried. Flag-lined streets take me back to a particular veteran cemetery where I conducted services for the fallen. I began the graveside services with the 23rd Psalm and concluded them with a prayer. At that point, my chaplain would bark, Attention! and he would cue the color guard to assemble. Fifty yards away, a three-person detail would fire off 21 shots, a wartime custom once used to announce that the battlefield had been cleared of the dead and the fighting could resume. Over the grave of the brave, a lone bugler would play taps, and the vibrating melancholic tones would strain the emotions of even the most stoic. On that last note, the honor guard responded like crisp marionettes strung by a master's hand. They lifted each corner of the flag from the casket, snapping it so tight that it startled nearby mourners. They folded it twice lengthwise and then began a series of folds that transformed the flag into a tight triangle. The officer affectionately placed three shell casings in the folded flag, each representing a volley. The foals were meant to conceal the blood-red stripes and leave nine shining stars exposed on the double-sided blue canvas. Thus folded, the implication is that God's creation of stars and sky is the only thing to be treasured. The blood stripes, symbolizing the sacrifice of man, are minimized. Custom required the sergeant to give the folded flag to an officer or a chaplain where he or she knelt before the parent or spouse to present a flag free of wrinkles. Whispered words spoken to next of kin 
were inaudible to those nearby, but I heard what was said. This flag is presented on behalf of a grateful nation and the United States Army as a token of appreciation for your loved one's honorable and faithful service. The funeral director dismissed the crowd, but a few people stopped briefly to lay a rose on the casket. Then, only selected family members were privileged to hear the sobbing as funeral directors winched the casket into the grave a few inches at a time. So this flag day, when you display the American flag, I have a favor to ask you. Imagine that same flag draping the bodies of 755 first responders killed on 9-11 and nearly 7,000 soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines who have since died. Imagine the flag that hangs from your porch covering the body of one of the 791 police officers murdered in the 21st century. Only when you consider the flag to be the last blanket of the fallen will you give the flag its due honor and proudly sing as we did at those funerals. Oh, say does that star-spangled banner yet wave over the land of the free and the home of the brave. This is Chaplain Norris Burks. I hope you'll visit my website at thechaplain.net. Thanks for listening today. The views expressed on this show are those of the speakers only and are not necessarily those of KVMR, our board, staff, volunteers, or contributors. That's our newscast for tonight, Monday, June 14th, 2021. We get support from Simply Country, local farm, feed, and outdoor stores since 1964, carrying water storage tanks, generators, farm equipment, plus outdoor sports gear. In Grass Valley and Penn Valley, online information, simplycountry.net. And Four Paws Animal Clinic, providing medical, dental, surgical services, alternative therapies, and cat boarding for cherished companions on Searles Avenue, Nevada City. Dr. Susan Murphy and staff proudly support KVMR, fourpawsac.com. Stick around. Coming up next at 6.30 is the Women's International News Gathering Service. Then at 7, we have Democracy Now! with host Amy Goodman. Thanks for listening. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off.